Chapter six of the Albert Gate Mystery by Lewis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter six. A journey to Paris. The sight of Talbot's letter seemed to fire Brett's imagination. He radiated electric energy. Both Lord Fairholme and Miss Talbot felt that in his presence all doubts vanished. They realized, without knowing why, that this man of power, this human dynamo, would quickly dispel the clouds which now rendered the outlook so forbidding. For the moment, heedless of their presence, he began to pace the room in the strenuous concentration of his thoughts. Once he halted in front of the small bust of Edgar Allan Poe, whose pedestal still imprisoned the two cuttings of a newspaper which formed the barrister's first links with the tragedy. His ideas suddenly reverted to the paragraph describing the efforts of the port to obtain from the French government the extradition of a fugitive relative of the sultan. At that instant, too, a tiny clock on the mantelpiece chimed forth the hour of eight that settles it said brett aloud smith he vociferated and smith appeared pack up sufficient belongings for a short trip to the continent don't forget a rug and a greatcoat have the portmanteau on a cap at the door within three minutes i'm sorry miss talbot he continued with his charming smile and a manner as free from perplexity as if he was announcing a formal visit to his grandmother i have just decided to go to paris at once the train leaves victoria at eight fifteen lord fairholme will take you home and you will both i am sure be able to convince sir hubert that to yield too greatly to anxiety just now is to suffer needless pain you are going to paris mr brett cried edith why in obedience to an impulse i always yield to impulses they impress me as constituting nature's telegraphs i have a favourite theory that we all contain a neatly devised adaptation of Masoni's wireless system and the time may come when the secret will be scientifically laid bare then don't you see it will be possible for a man in london to ring up a sympathetic soul in san francisco at present the code is not understood it is not even properly named so people are apt to distrust impulses he rattled on so pleasantly that edith absorbed by the agony of her brother's disappearance and possible disgrace could not conceal an expression of blank amazement at his levity brett instantly became apologetic pray forgive my apparent flippancy miss talbot he said i am really in earnest i believe that a flying visit to paris just now must unquestionably advance us an important stage in this inquiry let me explain exactly what i mean here is a letter from your brother in handwriting which you and others best qualified to judge declare to be undeniably his it also bears postmarks which would demonstrate to a court of law that it was posted in paris last night and received here to-day but it does not follow that it was written in paris it might have been written anywhere now according to the police there is an entry in the visitors book at the grand hotel which appears to prove that your brother wrote his name therein on tuesday night 
if the handwriting in the grand hotel register corresponds beyond all doubt with that in this letter and envelope then your brother must be in paris if it does not he is not there i am convinced that the letter hypothesis is correct but to make doubly sure i will go and see with my own eyes there now i owed you an explanation and i have barely time to catch my train good-bye i will wire you in the morning he placed the mysterious letter in his notebook gave them a parting smile and was gone he managed to catch the eight fifteen which started punctually the sole remnant of railway virtue possessed by the chatham and south-eastern line a restful porter quickened into active life by a half-crown tip found him a vacant seat in a first-class smoking-carriage and brett's hasty glance around the compartment revealed that his travelling companions as far as dover at any rate were severely respectable britons bound for the riviera the harbour station at dover wore its usual aspect of dejected misery the hurrying passengers pushed and jostled each other in their frenzied effort to board the steamer for the average british tourist has a rooted belief that such pushing and jostling and banging of apoplectic portmanteaus against the legs of others are absolutely necessary if he would not be left behind with an experience born of many voyages brett quickly noted the direction of the wind and the vessel's bearings a stiff breeze had brought up a moderate sea and the barrister dumped down his bag and flung himself onto a chair on what a novice would regard as the weather side of the chart house he bore the discomfort for a few minutes and was rewarded for his foresight by possessing the most sequestered nook on the deck when the vessel turned her head seawards and began one of the shortest but perhaps the most disagreeable voyages in the world having retained his seat long enough to establish a proprietary right therein brett rose and made a short tour of the ship to distinguish any one on deck was almost out of the question the passengers were huddled up in indefinite shapes and there was hardly light sufficient to effect a stumbling progress over the multitude of hand-baggage so the barrister dived down the companionway and cannoned against a burly individual who had propped himself against a bulkhead on the main-deck saloon something hard in the man's pockets gave brett a sharp rap and when they separated with mutual apologies he laughed silently handcuffs he murmured scotland yard is always prepared for emergencies i will wager a considerable sum that as soon as winter reached headquarters his story about the letter caused a telegram to be dispatched to dover here is a detective bound for paris and prepared to manacle talbot the moment he sees him what a fearful and wonderful thing is the english police system a crime obviously clever in its conception and treatment can be handled by a sharp policeman wearing regulation boots and armed with handcuffs really i must have a drink clinging to the handrails and executing some crude but effective balancing feats he reached the dining salon which was woefully denuded of occupants for the english channel that night had sternly set its face against the indiscriminate use of cold ham and pickles 
near the bar however solemnly digesting a liquor stood a man to whom the choppy sea evidently gave no concern he had the square shoulders neat-fitting clothes and closely clipped appearance at the back of the neck which mark the british officer but he also stood square on his feet and swayed with unconscious ease whether the vessel pitched or rolled or executed the combined movement now i wonder said brett if that is captain gaultier he must be gaultier from his name should be a jersey man hence his facility in foreign languages and his employment as a foreign office messenger it's worth trying i will make the experiment he reached the bar and ordered a whisky and soda turning affably to the stranger he remarked nasty night isn't it i hope we shan't be much behind time the stranger glanced at him with sharp and inquisitive eyes but the glance evidently reassured him for he replied quite pleasantly oh no a matter of a few minutes perhaps they usually manage to make up any delay after we leave calais that's good said brett because i want to be in paris at the earliest possible moment the other man smiled we are due there at five thirty eight he said rather an early hour for business isn't it well yes assented the barrister under ordinary circumstances but as my only business in paris is to examine a hotel register and then get something to eat before i return i do not wish to waste time unnecessarily on the road the other man noted affably but gave no sign of further interest so communed brett if it be gaultier he has not heard the latest development i must try a frontal attack does your name happen to be gaultier he went on the stranger arrested his liquor glass in the final tilt it does he said but i do not think i have the pleasure of knowing you no said brett you haven't well said the other man the fact is said brett i heard you had been in london i guessed from your appearance that you might be a king's messenger and it was just possible that the captain gaultier in whom i was interested might start back to the continent to-night so i put two and two together don't you see with the result that they made four a thing which doesn't always happen in deduction if in mathematics now foreign office messengers are not chosen for their simplicity or general want of intelligence captain gaultier eyed his questioner with some degree of stern suspicion as he said from behind his cigar may i ask who you are certainly replied brett producing his card after a quick glance at the pasteboard gaultier continued i suppose mr brett you have some motive in addressing me what is it i am interested in the fate of a man named talbot was the straightforward reply and as you told the under-secretary that you had seen talbot crossing to paris in company with the lady last tuesday i hoped that perhaps you would not mind discussing the matter with me captain gaultier was evidently puzzled private conversations with under-secretaries of state are not as a rule public property 
and his momentary intention to decline further conversation with this good-looking and fascinating stranger was checked by remembrance of the fact really mr brett he said although i do not question the accuracy of your statement you will readily understand that i can hardly discuss the matter with you under the circumstances naturally you would not be holding a responsible position in his majesty's service if you were at all likely to do any such thing but i propose in the first instance to reassure you as to my bona fides and i may point out in the second place that as i have met you by a fortunate chance you can hardly deem it a breach of confidence to discuss with me the mere accidental appearance on a cross-channel steamer of a man known not only to both of us but to society at large gautier clearly hesitated but did not refuse to accept the under-secretary's letter which brett handed to him with the words you know the handwriting no doubt that speaks for itself the king's messenger smiled when he returned the note it is a not coincidence he added and still more curious that you should spot me so readily however mr brett we have now cleared the air what can i do for you simply this said the barrister do you mind telling me how you came to recognize mr talbot well for one thing was the thoughtful reply i knew his overcoat i often met talbot in the foreign office and one day he drove me to his club wearing a very handsome coat lined with astrachan it struck me as a peculiarly comfortable and well-fitting one and although there are plenty of men about town who may possess astrachan coats it is a reasonable assumption that this was the identical garment when it happened to be worn by the man himself then you are quite certain it was talbot went on the barrister quite certain would you swear it was he though his life depended on your accuracy well no perhaps not that but i would certainly swear that i believed it was mr talbot ah that is a material difference the only way in which you could be positively certain was to enter into conversation with him was it not yes that is so i do not want you to think captain gautier that i am cross-examining you let me tell you at once that i believe you saw some one masquerading in talbot's clothes and made up to represent him was there anything about his appearance that might lend credence to such a view the other reflected a little before answering there was only one thing he said he did not seem to notice me now he is a sharp sort of chap and as it was broad daylight and a fine day he must have seen me for he knows me well again from all that i have heard of him i do not think that he would either pass an acquaintance without speaking to him nor take flying trips to the continent with the ladies of the music-hall persuasion you have supplied two very powerful reasons why the individual you saw should not be jack talbot yet as you say it was broad daylight and you had a good look at him no no interrupted the other i had a good look at his coat and the lady whoever the man was he appeared to be wrapped up in both of them and he certainly did not court observation i naturally thought that the feminine attachment accounted for this and for the same reason i did not even seek to scrutinize him too closely 
to put the thing in a nutshell i saw a man whom i believed to be jack talbot and who certainly resembled him in face and figure attired in talbot's clothes and wearing a coat which i had noted so particularly as to be able to describe it to my tailor when ordering a similar one add to that the appearance of an attractive lady young and unknown and you have my soul laid bare to you in the matter thank you said brett i am much obliged he would have quitted the salon but captain gautier laughed hold on a bit it is my turn now suppose i try to pump you a giant wave took hold of the vessel and shook her violently and brett though an average amateur sailor felt that the salon was no place for him between you and the ship captain gautier he said the success of the operation would be certain i have secured a quiet corner on the deck if you wish for further talk we must adjourn there the transit was effected without incident much to brett's relief after a minute or two he felt that a cigar was possible he turned to his companion with a quiet observation the vessel has failed you can start now well said gautier tell me what is the mystery attaching to talbot's movements i only heard the vaguest of rumours in the department but something very terrible appears to have happened and indeed i heartily wished i had kept my mouth shut concerning my supposed meeting with him last tuesday as the affair was no business of mine moreover you have now somewhat shaken my belief in his identity although i can hardly tell you why that should be so brett paused to make sure that no one would overhear him but the fierce wind whistling around the chart-house and bridge the seas that smote the ship's quarter with a thunderous noise the all-pervading sense of riotous fury in the elements rendered the precaution almost unnecessary in any case there was no one near enough to act the part of eavesdropper and brett exercising the rapid decision which frequently impressed others as a gift of divination determined that to let such a man as the king's messenger into the secret could not possibly be harmful to the interests of his client whilst his help might be beneficial in the fewest possible words therefore he poured the tale into the other's wandering ear when he had finished gautier remained silent for a few minutes already the clear radiance of the magnificent light at calais was sending intermittent flashes of brightness over the deck and the long shoulder of cape grinet was thrusting the force of the gale back into mid-channel i think said gautier speaking slowly and thoughtfully that your view is the right one mr brett there is much more in this business than meets the eye and any man who believes that jack talbot would mix himself up in it must be a most determined ass of course such people do exist but they shouldn't be in the police force you are going on to paris you said yes then we can travel together all that you have said is quite new to me curiously enough i have just returned from constantinople and i may be able to assist you brett silently thanked his stars for the gratuitous circumstance which threw him into the company of captain gautier 
he recognized that the king's messenger with the precaution that might be expected from one whose daily life demanded extreme prudence desired to mentally review the strange facts made known to him before he committed himself further with ready tact the barrister changed the conversation to matters of the moment until they reached the pier at calais when both men not encumbered with much luggage were among the first flight of passengers to reach the station buffet on their way they captured a railway official and told him to reserve a couple lit compartment in the midst of their hasty meal the frenchman arrived voluble apologetic the train was crowded never had there been such a rush to the south by the exercise of most profound care he had secured them two seats in a compartment but the third had already taken itself he was sorry for it he had done his best when they entered their carriage the third occupant was in position he was french aggressively so phil may may have used him for a model the poor man had been wretchedly ill from the moment he left dover until the vessel was tied for her berth in the harbour at calais he paid not the least attention to the newcomers being apparently absorbed in contemplation of his own misery the two englishmen though experienced travellers were sufficiently insular to resent the presence of the stranger whom brett resolved to put to the language test forthwith it is very cold in here he said shall i turn on the hot air the frenchman seemed to understand that he was addressed he looked up with a shivering smile and explained that he had only booked one seat the remainder of the compartment was at their disposal he was evidently guiltless of acquaintance with the english tongue but brett did not like his appearance though well dressed and well spoken he was a nondescript individual and the flash of his dark eyes was not reassuring yet the man was so ill that brett forthwith dismissed him from his thoughts though he took care to occupy the centre seat himself thus placing captain gautier on the other side of the carriage after a visit from the ticket examiner the frenchman disposed himself for a nap and the train started captain gautier by this time had made up his mind as to the information he felt he could give his new acquaintance it is very odd he said that those diamonds should disappear just at the moment when there is every sign of unrest in turkey you know of course the manner of the last sultan's death brett nodded and you have heard no doubt something of the precautions taken by the present sultan to safeguard his life against the attacks of possible assassins yes said brett well these have been redoubled of late and the man never goes out that he is not in the most abject state of fear he is a pitiful sight i assure you i saw him less than a fortnight ago driving to the mosque on friday and his coachman evidently had orders to go at a gallop through the streets while not only was the entire road protected by soldiers but every house was examined previously by police agents there is something in the wind of more than usual importance in the neighbourhood of yildiz kiosk just now i am certain i suppose you did not chance to see any mention of the fact that hussein ul mulk 
the sultan's nephew has recently fled from turkey and is now under the protection of the french government yes i noticed that you don't seem to miss much was gautier's sharp remark pausing in his narrative to light a cigar one of my few virtues is that i read the newspapers the train was slowing down as it neared the town station in calais and gautier's voice could be momentarily heard above the diminishing rattle well he said i happen to know hussein ul mulk and if we find out where he lives in paris i will introduce you to him brett looked at the slumbering frenchman out of the corner of his eye the man appeared to be dozing peacefully enough but the alert barrister had an impression that his limbs were not sufficiently relaxed under the influence of slumber indeed he felt sure that the frenchman was wide awake and endeavouring to catch the drift of their conversation i will be most pleased to meet your friend captain gautier he said and lest it should slip your memory i will give you a reminder he opened his card-case and wrote on the back of a card grand hotel breakfast eleven thirty no more at present the quick-witted king's messenger read and understood it seems to me he went on that he is the very man for your purpose though he is not in favour at court just now he has plenty of friends in the various departments and he could give you letters which would be certain to secure you some excellent orders i suppose you are going to the east as the result of the rumoured intention of the turkish government to reconstitute the navy brett made a haphazard guess at gautier's meaning yes he said we ought to place a good many thousand tons with them gautier leaned forward to strike a match and glanced at their companion for some indescribable reason he shared brett's view concerning this gentleman and immediately started a conversation of general significance they soon discovered that they had several mutual acquaintances and in this way they passed the dreary journey to paris pleasantly enough at the gare du nord their knowledge of french methods enabled them to get quickly clear of the octroi as neither of them had any baggage which rendered their presence necessary at the custom-house the frenchman who seemed to be thoroughly revived by the air of his beloved paris hurried out simultaneously with themselves he had no difficulty in hearing brett's directions to a cabman gautier entered another vehicle brett was the first away from the station he fancied he saw his french travelling companion hastily whisper something to a lounger near the exit so he suddenly pulled up his voiture gave the driver a two-franc piece and told him to go to the grand hotel and there wait his arrival the cab had halted for the moment in the rue lafayette at the corner of the place valenciennes and the cabman recognizing that this fare was an englishman and consequently mad drove off immediately in obedience to orders though nearly six o'clock in the morning it was quite dark but as brett walked rapidly back towards the station he had no difficulty in picking out gautier who occupied an open vehicle 
some little distance behind came another and herein the barrister thought he recognized the man to whom the frenchman in the train had spoken by this time many other cabs were dashing out of the station-yard so brett took the chance that he might be hopelessly wrong he hailed a third vehicle and told the driver to follow the other two which were now some distance down the rue lafayette not until the three cabs had crossed the place de l'opera and passed the madeleine could brett be certain that the occupant of the second was following his friend gautier then he chuckled to himself for this was surely a rare stroke of luck quickly reviewing the possibilities of the affair he came to the conclusion that the travelling frenchman really understood little if any english but that he had caught the name of the fugitive from the sultan's wrath and had forthwith betrayed an interest in their conversation which was to say the least remarkable at the exit from the gare du nord the stranger had readily enough ascertained brett's destination but he clearly regarded it as important that gautier the man who claimed hussein-ul-mulk as a friend should be tracked and had given the necessary instructions to the confederate who awaited his arrival although gautier had not said as much brett guessed that his destination was the british embassy in the rue du faubourg saint honore the route followed by the cabman led straight to that well-known locality the frenchman in the second cab evidently thought likewise for at the corner of the rue boissy he pulled up and brett was just in time to give his driver instructions to go ahead and thus avoid attracting undue notice to himself gautier turned into the embassy and brett himself halted a little further on dismissing his cocher with a liberal fare he walked rapidly back and saw the spy enter into conversation with the night porter on duty the latter personage however was clearly a trustworthy official for he loudly told the other to be off and attend to his own affairs then followed a most exciting and perplexing chase through many streets and it was only by the exercise of the utmost discretion that brett finally located his man at a definite number in the rue barbette a tiny thoroughfare in the temple district by this time dawn was advancing over paris and the streets were beginning to fill with early workers he inquired from a passer-by the most likely locality in which he could find a cab and the man civilly conducted him to the rue de rivoli thence he was not long in reaching the grand hotel where he found the astonished cocher of his first vehicle still safeguarding his bag and arguing fiercely with a porter that he had unquestionably obeyed the englishman's instructions tired though he was brett did not fail to scrutinize the list of arrivals at the hotel on the preceding tuesday he instantly found the entry he sought the arrival of mr and mrs john talbot london was chronicled in the register with uncompromising boldness hastily comparing the writing in talbot's letter with that of the visitor's book brett was at first staggered by their similarity but he quickly recognized the well-known signs which indicate that a man who himself writes bold and confident hand has been copying the signature of another with the object of reproducing it freely and with reasonable accuracy 
there are always perceptible differences in the varying pressure of the pen and the distribution of the ink allowance had evidently not been made for the fact that englishmen almost invariably write their names very badly in continental hotel registers owing to their inability to use foreign pens the man who not only forged mr talbot's name but also supplied him with a wife laboured under no such disadvantage indeed talbot himself would probably not have written his own name so legibly that is all right said brett wearily traversing a corridor to gain his room now i wonder if there is any connection between hussein ul malk and the rue barbette End of chapter 6